Merry Christmas, friends. We can still say it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a great honor to, to be able to open up the word with you today and uh, look one more time at the birth of Jesus. And so before we move forward, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for just the, the beautiful fact that um, truths like the birth of Jesus are things that we can cherish in our hearts for more than just a month of the year. They're, they're life-changing, life-altering realities and part of the grand, beautiful scope of the gospel. And so would you help us to, to listen and help us, God, to be able to get out of your word exactly what you want from us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? All right, well, this is going to be fun, but it's also kind of a bummer to me because this is the last Sunday that we're going to be celebrating Christmas as a church. Um, I know some of you uh, Grinchies in the room took down your stuff on, like, Christmas afternoon as soon as you celebrated Christmas, and we're going to leave it up until at least through today. I think we'll take it down tomorrow. But... um, but I love Christmas every year. Uh, if, if you were able to, to pin my wife down and get her to tell you if she loves it as much as me, she would say absolutely not. Uh, and it's annoying to her because every year I need more Christmas lights. Today, uh, this year, the, the argument was whether or not we could have a second tree in our house um, as opposed to just one. And also we got, got into it a few times about how often I wanted to watch Home Alone as opposed to other Christmas movies. But I love Christmas. I love everything about it. It moves my heart to this place of awe and wonder um, throughout the Christmas season. I, I'm serious. My retirement plan is to move to whatever remote uh, mountain village that celebrates Christmas year-round because it just does something inside of me. But I love Christmas, and, and if I'm being honest, like I love all the commercial stuff. Like I, I do. I get a lot of joy out of it. But it really does move my entire being into this place of awe and wonder of the beauty of the Incarnation. And that God became a baby and moved towards us out of love for us. And so so in my like getting kind of the frustration towards the end of the season, I find myself always also in the same place asking myself this question. If this is so wonderful, then how can I keep Christmas in my heart year round? How can the beauty of the incarnation, the beauty of the baby Jesus come to save the world from their sins How can that part of the gospel, that part of the beauty of the gospel be something that I cherish? Because the fact that God became a baby and was born into poverty for our sake, from the very beginning, stooping low so that he could raise us up, what a wonderful, beautiful thing to ponder more than just December 25th, but on June 25th and every day throughout the rest of the year. And so... As Mary and Joseph ponder the meaning of their son's birth in this text that we're going to see, um, I think the events that we have um, that were given to them in this passage were given to them in order to deepen the beauty and the significance of the incarnation. And I think that for us, it can do the same thing. And so let's jump in together and take a look, starting um, in verse 25. And the first thing I don't want to miss in this text is um, the vast importance of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Simeon and in our lives as we ponder the incarnation. So starting in verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit 
into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, And so the Holy Spirit plays a crucial role in the life of Simeon. Uh, Luke obviously doesn't want us to miss the fact that three times in three verses, he alludes to the fact that the Holy Spirit had everything to do with the fact that Simeon would even meet Jesus on this day. Now, it's really really easy for us this time of the year in the church calendar to neglect the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We talk so much throughout the the season of Christmas and the incarnation and Advent about, about the birth of Jesus and the person and work of Jesus. And it's so easy for us to neglect the fact that the Holy Spirit is still working in the midst of what's happening at Christmas. But Luke makes it very clear to us here that not, if it's not for the work of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life, he wouldn't have met Jesus this day. He would have been just as ignorant to the presence of Jesus in the temple as every other religious person that was standing nearby. Some of the same men that would later call for his crucifixion were likely within a stone's throw of the king of the universe, but they couldn't see him and they didn't know he was there. The Bible talks about how Simeon was a man that was righteous and devout. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel, waiting on the rescue of the people of Israel. And he was one of the few people that still was. But it was because of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life that he even knew that Jesus was there that day. I, uh, I love C.S. Lewis, and I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And um, I guess every time I preach, I'm going to use him as a, a reference. But... Um, <laughs> But there's this really beautiful moment, a really profound moment in the book Prince Caspian. And, and if, you're, if you're not very familiar with, with the books, this is the second time that the Pevensey children have made a trip to Narnia um, after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And they're in a bit of a pickle. They've, they've come to a, a barrier they can't cross, to a cliff they can't get to the other side of. But they know this is the way they need to go. And as they're pondering together and thinking together and discussing together, what should we do now? The youngest Lucy cries out, look, look, look. It's Aslan. And across the way, she sees the lion, the savior, the king, and he's beckoning to her to come to him. But the problem is, if you're familiar with the books, her older brothers and sister don't see him. They've forgotten what he looks like in a way. And what they decide to do in the end, and she gets overruled, is to rely on their own intuition. And instead of moving towards him, they move in a different direction. And just pages later, they almost all die because of it. And so the question is, uh, for us, do we feel more like Lucy in this particular passage or Simeon in this passage in the Bible? Um, Or do we resonate maybe more with the religious people that were all around Jesus that day that couldn't see him? In the midst of their waiting, the people, the people of Israel had lived lives full of slavery. Okay? They had been through a lot of things. They had been conquered. They had been made slaves. They had been displaced from their homes. They had experienced decades and centuries of quiet from God. It had been a long time since he'd sent a prophet to speak to them. And many of them, because of this, stopped having faith in this Savior that was prophesied to come for them. Many of the men that Simeon would have bumped shoulders with on his way in and out of the the temple uh, day in and day out had chosen to stop waiting on this consolation of Israel and start making their own way. So in the end, Simeon's eyes were open to see the beauty of the king and to hold him in his arms, to hold his salvation in his hands while those that were around him were not. And so the question for us is, do we 
and are we in this moment relying more on our own ideas, our own brain power, our own strength, or are we actively relying on the Holy Spirit? Are you trying to save yourself with your good works and the fact that God is offering you a free gift through his son? And so the first thing we don't want to miss is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Simeon. The second thing that we don't want to miss um, is that the incarnation means the beginning of the death of death and the ending of our fear of it. Look at this, in, in, starting in verse 28. It says, Simeon, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Theologian Kent Hughes said it really well. He said, with the baby in his arms, secure in God's presence, Simeon experienced a profound peace of soul. And well, he should have. After all, he held in his hands the Prince of Peace, the one of whom the angels sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. At the appearing of the Son of God, with joy in his face and tears in his eyes, of gratitude in his eyes, Simeon was ready to meet death. Something changed in him that made him ready in that moment to meet death. And it would no longer be a great foe of his, but a conquered enemy that wouldn't garner any fear. All because of what this baby he was holding was going to do. In his beautiful little book that's kind of hard to read, but you should check it out. Um, on the Incarnation, St. Athanasius said, Death has become like a tyrant who's been completely conquered by the legitimate monarch. Bound hand and foot, the passers-by sneer at him, hitting him and abusing him, no longer afraid of his cruelty and rage because of the king who has conquered him. So death has been conquered. I uh, had a great joy of having a really good earthly dad, but about six years ago after an 11-year battle with cancer, he went to be with Jesus and as I was pondering this text over the last couple of weeks, I was just reminded of the last days of my dad's life. I, I, I experienced a lot of frustration and pain in his eyes, but I never experienced fear. <laughs> I never experienced fear. And I would, I would describe my dad in the same exact way that, I, that the Bible would have described, that it did describe Simeon as righteous and devout, a real man of faith that walked with Jesus until his last day. But there was something about what he saw in Jesus and what he believed in the gospel that was able, he was able to actively meet death with joy in his heart. So much so that in, in the last couple of days of his life, he was able to pull me aside and look me in the eyes with a smile on his face and say, hey, even, all, even though all this is going on, God is still good. And so I can't help but help but, but know and think that something that my dad saw was the same thing that Simeon saw as he held up this baby his salvation was in his hands, and he no longer had to fear death. But still, at the same time, the idea of death, if we're being honest, like even for myself, it brings anxiety, and it brings fear, and it brings worry. I worry about my, my, my family dying. I worry about myself dying more often than I should. It's easy to forget the truth that we have and the beauty that we have in the gospel, but I just want to remind us of the beautiful truth that we see in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, when it says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Thank God that he went to the cross for us 
so that we no longer have to fear death. And then lastly, or thirdly, uh, we see the incarnation meant the inauguration of what we'll call the upside-down kingdom of God. Look with me starting in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The prevailing thought from the people of Israel was that if and when God did finally send this king that he had promised, that he would be a king just like all the other earthly kings they had ever experienced, a conquering king. He would raise up the, bat, the, the armies of Israel and they would go to battle and they would defeat all of their enemies. And he was, his rule and his reign would never end. And so you can imagine uh, their joy. He's finally here. He's finally here. Our king is finally here. So now instead of us being subject to everyone else like we have our entire history, they're going to be subject to us. They're going to be subject to us. But if we're paying attention, Simeon's announcing something that looks very, very different from what they would have thought he would have been announcing. In their book, The First Days of Jesus, uh, Andreas Kostenberger and Alexander Stewart had this to say, yes, Jesus would bring God's salvation and glory to Israel. But he would do this not by destroying or enslaving the Gentiles, but by giving the light of revelation originally reserved for Israel to the Gentile nations as well. Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament promises concerning the restoration and redemption of Israel as he extends the light and rule of his kingdom over all the nations of the world. These nations are not to be subservient to Israel but co-members of the unified people of God. I don't want us to miss the beautiful thing that's happening here. God is taking enemies and outcasts, and instead of widening the gap between them, he's eliminating it altogether. He didn't decide that the people of Israel would now make the rest of us their slaves and be subservient to them. He decided to bring us all into one family. This is what we do week in and week out when we welcome each other in the middle of our service. We talk about how God has broken down all the walls that are between us and so we can move towards each other. No matter what your political persuasion, no matter where you were born and raised, no matter who your favorite sports team is, fill in the blank. God has broken down all the walls that divide us. Yet at the same time, that's not the only thing that's incredibly backwards about the way that Jesus would do things. Because then Simeon turns to his mother and he gives her some hard news, some good news for us, but some hard news. See, the way that he's going to do it is even more upside down in that he's not going to take up an earthly throne, but he's going to take up a cross in our place. Simeon's words to Mary must have been the last thing that she expected to hear. Can you imagine? She's just held him up and talked about the, the scope and the breadth of what he's going to do, the amount of people that he's going to save. And then he looks at her and he tells her that this is going to be painful for your son and it's going to be painful for you. And I can't help but be grateful, though, this morning as we reflect back on this text and say, thank God it was. Thank God that it was. 
because Jesus went to that cross for us in our stead so that we could be a part of this family that he's welcomed us into. It's going to be the very temple, in the very temple that Simeon is making this announcement. The curtain is going to be torn in two, symbolizing the fact that there is no longer a barrier between us and God and a barrier between us and each other. So praise God he did it the way that he did it. The upside down kingdom of God. And so the question attached to this is for you, for all of us in the room, do you feel like you're on the outside looking in today? Not just because you, you understand maybe your sinfulness or, or you're, you feel distant from God, but maybe you feel like something's been done to you that's pushed you aside as well. All around the temple that day in Jerusalem were people of all sorts living in poverty, living in overt sin against God, living in shame. And what was going on inside the temple at that time really just didn't concern them. But that's not true anymore. What's going on inside that temple broke down all the walls that kept them out. And so just like the people of Israel um, were welcomed in and just like the people surrounding them that day were welcomed in, God is, is giving everyone in this room the same invitation and saying, you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to me. I've moved towards you. It's the beauty of the upside-down kingdom of God. And so this is all really fun. This is all really beautiful. But how do we respond? Uh, you know, it's really good to have all this information and to know this truth. But how should we respond in light of the beautiful truth of the incarnation? And I think we have one of the best examples of how to do this in the following verse through the response of Anna. Look with me, starting in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's widely understood by theologians that um, Anna would have been there the entire time that Simeon was making this announcement. When it says she came up at the same hour, that they both arrived at the same time. And so she heard, she heard with her own ears and she saw with her own eyes the redemption of her people. This woman who had experienced the darkness of silence and waiting faithfully for God to send a savior for her people. This woman who had experienced great grief widowed only seven years into marriage and forced to be alone for 84 after. Depending on how you interpret this text, she was either over 100 years old or 84 years old, but a long time, a widow, waiting on the consolation of Israel and living her life in grief. And after these long, hard, and dark years, how does she respond? She responds in two really profound and challenging, beautiful ways. The first way that she responds is in worship. The first thing she knows what to do is to just praise God because the salvation of her and her people and the whole world has arrived on the scene and she's getting to witness it firsthand. To be honest, I think for me and for everyone in the room, if we really pondered and believed in the beautiful truth that we're seeing in this text and the beauty of the incarnation and that God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up, but he sent his rescuer to us, it should drive us to worship. It should drive us to sing. It should drive us to prayer and fasting like Anna was already doing. 
And so we're challenged this morning by Anna to be driven to worship. One of the most beautiful prayers that's ever been written was written by the Puritans. You can find it in the book, The Valley of Vision. But it was in response to this truth on the incarnation. It says, here in his wonder of wonders, he came below to raise me above. Was born like me that I might become like him. Here in his love, when I cannot rise to him, he draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. And here in his power, when deity and humanity are infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity, the uncreated and the created. And here in his wisdom, when I was undone, with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost. As man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, and to work out a perfect righteousness to me. The incarnation is good news, and it should drive us to worship. And then lastly, not only was Anna driven to worship, but she was driven to gospel proclamation. As soon as she finishes worshiping God, the first thing she does is turn around and tell anyone that will hear that the king has come. This woman, who we've already talked about, who has experienced great grief and has more reason to probably be angry about how long it took, the first thing she does after she finishes worshiping is she turns to tell everyone she knows that the king has come. It was absolutely essential to her. I was thinking about this just a moment ago. I feel like I would have wanted to linger for a moment, you know? I feel like I would have wanted to, to take my own turn holding this baby in my arms like Simeon got to do. But she didn't linger. She turned and she left and she had to tell everyone she knew. And so the reality is for us that we also live in a world full of people that feel outside the walls. They feel separated from God. They feel too dirty. They feel like whether it's something that's been done to them or they've done have been separated from God to an extent that they don't deserve his love and he couldn't possibly have come for them. And the most incredible thing that we have is the best news that they need, that that's not true. And so Anna and us together collectively should be drawn to a life of worship and a life of proclamation because of the beauty of the gospel, that God became a baby with his eyes set on redemption for you and for me. So friend, this is the good news. And I just want to say one more time, because it's fun, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Well, Father, thank you for the beauty of Christmas. <laughs> Would you truly allow us to ponder it in our hearts year-round? Would you help us to understand uh, the need that we had for a Savior and the fact that you saw our need and you sent Jesus for us? And so we would be people that are marked by our Christmas spirit even in June because of the beauty of the incarnation and when we live lives of joyful worship and proclamation of the good news of the gospel that Jesus has come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Let's stand together.